Welcome to another edition of Destination Annapolis. I'm your host, Susan Seifried, with Visit Annapolis and Anne Arundel County, and I'm happy to have as my guest today, Barbara Goyette, Executive Director of the Hammond Harwood House in Annapolis. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Susan, for having us and for featuring Hammond Harwood House. The Hammond Harwood House has been gracing the corner of Maryland Avenue and King George Street in downtown Annapolis since 1774. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of this stunning building? Sure, sure. Well, first of all, I mean, let's talk about what's important about it, and then we can talk a little bit about, uh, you know, its, its history. I think the important things to kind of focus on are the, the great architecture and the uh, superb museum collection of art and decorative objects. And then lastly, the social history. So the family that lived there and the enslaved people that made their lifestyle possible, um, kind of weaving that story of the people into the kind of um, more dull museum world, I think is what makes Hammond Harwood House really special. So let's talk about the, the history. So the, the house was commissioned by um, a revolutionary patriot in Annapolis named Matthias Hammond. He actually had uh, his plantation up by BWI Airport up in the more northern part of the county. He owned a lot of acres and he had been elected to the Maryland General Assembly and he wanted a fancy townhouse where he could entertain guests and you know, kind of show off his, his wealth. So he commissioned uh, William Buckland, who was newly arrived in town, but had quite a reputation for being um, an interesting architect um, direct from uh, Oxford, England. And he had worked uh, for George Mason in Virginia. I'll just mention this as an indentured artisan. So often when we hear the word indentured, we think of servants like housekeepers or cooks or something like that who come over from uh, from Europe and uh, worked in in America for X number of years. Well, artisans did the same thing. So there were woodworkers and craftsmen of all different kinds who were indentured. So they had their way paid by their patrons and uh, they worked for a number of years. So that's how William Buckland ended up in Virginia and then eventually in Annapolis. So William Buckland, or um, Matthias Hammond, this ambitious young uh, figure uh, gets this this kind of um, hot guy in town, William Buckland, to design a townhouse for him. And he picks the property that's right, he owns some property right across the street from where Samuel Chase had built his house. And uh, um, William Buckland does a very unusual thing. He uses an Italian villa from Andrea Palladio's Four Books of Architecture, a 16th century text about architecture as the basis for his design. And um, it might help to understand this if we think, you know, he, he was born in England and he lived in Oxford, so he had seen wonderful, great buildings. And he was um, trying to transfer that level of elegance to the colonies. And that's one reason why he was a hot hot commodity because he was great at at doing that. So he built this this five-part house, um, Hammond Harwood House, uh, 1774. We're not sure when it was finished, maybe a couple of years later. 
And then uh, Matthias Hammond, for some reason, lost interest in the House. He didn't get reelected to the legislature. Um, the Revolutionary War was going on. It was 1770s. He was very involved in buying and selling property and real estate and managing his plantations. And he just, he never lived in the house. And there are a lot of myths about that, you know, that he was jilted by his fiance. You know, we really don't know. Uh, but anyway, he didn't live there. And he rented out the property, um, you know, over time. He died. Uh, his nephews inherited. They rented out the property. And finally, in, um, in 1811, Judge Jeremiah Chase and his wife, Hester Chase, who lived on King George Street, just a couple of, of houses down from Hammond Harwood House, um, they bought the house for their eldest daughter, Frances, and her husband. And uh, that was the Lockerman family. So it was Frances Chase and Richard Lockerman. And they were a young couple and they had already had a couple of children. Uh, Richard had a plantation over on the Eastern shore where they had been living. But uh, uh, mommy and daddy Chase were kind of helicopter parents. They were worried about her. They wanted her a little bit closer. They weren't sure about Richard. He seemed a little unstable. They just weren't sure what was going on. So they, they bought her this gigunda house, right? <laughs> right there around the corner. So it was in that Lockerman family from 1811 when that family moved in until 1924 when, um, let's see, it was Francis and Richard's um, uh, youngest grandchild passed away. And after that, there were no heirs and the house was put up for auction. And in 1925, St. John's College bought the house and they used it, they had this great idea of turning it into a museum and it realized in the, in the 1920s, there was a real revival of interest in everything colonial. So colonial ideas, ideology, um, colonial art, colonial architecture. So they wanted to turn it into a, a museum of colonial art. And they brought in uh, Francis Garvin, who um, had founded the American Wing at the, at the Metropolitan Museum in New York. And they had a kind of cadre of these, um, these uh, people who are very interested in colonial revival um, studies. And uh, so St. John's owned the house and um, ran it as a kind of training ground for museum professionals for just a couple of years, because guess what happened? 1929 happened and everything fell apart economically. And so they, they, put, they, they stopped their, their programming there. The house was vacant for a little while. And finally they rented it in um, the 1930s to a group of women in Baltimore who had kind of banded together um, because they themselves loved history. They had uh, family connections to Annapolis, et cetera. And they called themselves the Hammond Harwood House Association. And they formally incorporated in uh, 1940 and they ended up purchasing the house for, I think it was $47,000 they raised in a national campaign. So the house has been owned by the Hammond Harwood House Association since 1940 and run as a public museum since that time. I know one of the things that everybody talks about in Annapolis is the most beautiful doorway in America, which is the Hammond Harwood House doorway. Would you like to talk a little bit about some of the architectural features of the house that make it so popular? Sure, sure. Well, it's a, um, unlike, you know, the other houses like Chase and uh, Bryce House and Baker House, which, which are vertical presences, Hammond Harwood House is a horizontal presence. 
and um, it extends, there's a main block and then there are two hyphens and then there are two wings. So it's a five part house. And uh, so that is an interesting feature in and of itself. And as I said, that's, that's based on an Italian villa design. Each of the wings has um, octagonal bays. So these windows that go around in half of an octagon. And those were highly admired and a very unusual feature. Um, when Thomas Jefferson came to town, he sat across the street and drew pictures of those octagonal bays and then later incorporated that design into Monticello. So that's um, kind of an indication of how, how cool and um, iconic the design is. Now, speaking of the doorway, it has beautiful um, uh, a wood design and the wood design, you know, the, the, um, the carvings, were probably taken from various design books. And uh, there, there are garlands, there are flowers, there are leaves. Um, it's just beautifully, beautifully, beautifully done. And then there are these big, um, big uh, double doors, which a couple of years ago, we had um, paint historian named Susan Buck from Williamsburg come up and, and analyze the paint history on those doors. And she said, you know, they were, they were never white or they were not originally white. And they were not originally just wood, they were painted faux, a faux design. So we did some research on that and um, actually had a, uh, a decorative painter from Baltimore come down and do a, a faux wood design on the front door. They really do look spectacular. I mean, everybody who walks by is taking pictures of it. And um, it, really, it really is a stunning, a stunning doorway. And once people walk through the doorway and enter the home, there's a lot of wow things inside as well. There, there are. You know, I think one thing that I really love about the house is its authenticity. So it's, it's period rooms when you go in a house. When you go in the house, it's not like going into um, a museum with different, you know, spaces. Here's all the paintings in this room and here's all the furniture in this room. It, there are period rooms. So you get the kind of story of what it meant to live in that house. So here's the, the gentleman's study, and here's the painting on the wall of George Washington with his horse that might have been there. Here, are, here is a table by Annapolis furniture maker John Shaw. Here is a desk by John Shaw that um, there's another one just like it in the White House. Um, here's the dining room where there would have been, um, you know, um, constructed and designed for grandeur um, to make an impression and uh, beautiful carvings all around the top, top and um, a doorway that looks out on the, on the garden. Um, upstairs, there's a music room and a game room. So you really get the sense of what it's like to have lived in that house. Plus then we also of course have the kitchen and that we've interpreted as um, a special exhibition that focuses on the enslaved people because that is the area where they, of course, would have been, been centered and their living quarters were up, upstairs up above the kitchen. So you do get this real experience when you're walking through the house, um, not only about the, the size of it and about the beautiful things that are contained in there, but also about what um, life would have been like at that time. Can you talk a little bit more about some of the other fine things that are in the collection? Sure. Well, I mean, I think the thing that probably um, the folks who are closest to, to uh, Hammond Harwood House 
are the most taken with are the um, Charles Wilson Peel paintings. So Charles Wilson Peel was, um, he was an Annapolis boy, um, born in uh, 1741, I think, um, and was apprenticed. His father was bankrupt and then his father died and his mother was there with just the children. He was apprenticed out as a saddle maker and um, kind of dabbled in painting and caught the attention of some of the uh, wealthier people in Annapolis who um, paid to have sent him to England where he was trained as a portraitist. And um, I mean, I think he rivals Gilbert Stewart and some of the other Benjamin West, some of the other really prominent um, portrait painters of the revolutionary era. And you have to realize that um, as an American, he didn't have the opportunity to see very many paintings. There wasn't the internet where you could go on and you know, Google, show me great portraits um, and look at Rembrandt or anything like that. And there weren't any places where he could see them or any books. And really his, his portraits are just beautiful. The, the technique is superb. The detail is superb. Everyone tells the story of, um, of the sitter. And Hammond Harwood House is blessed to have, um, I think we have 19 paintings by Charles Wilson Peale and by also other members in his family. So that was the interesting thing about him. He, um, his brother was also an artist. His cousin was an artist. He had 17 children and he taught all of them to paint. He uh, taught his um, enslaved people to do various forms of art. And we even have a silhouette that was done by one of his enslaved people, um, Moses Williams. So we have uh, 19 of these paintings. And this year, um, we're going to mount a two an exhibition that's going to last two years that has um, many of our paintings in it. And then also nine other Peel paintings that are on loan from places like Baltimore Museum of Art and Yale, and then some, some private donors as well. So um, I think that visiting him at Harwood House is a great opportunity to see in one place this, this really nice, nice collection of um, early American people, our peeps, right? Um, they, they, they were the ones who set the tone for America. They wrote the laws, they fought the wars, they, you know, they figured out the culture and, uh, um, you know, they, they're, they're our heritage. And it's just wonderful to, to see them. And the Peel collection that's at the Hammond Harwood House, aside from the fact that you'll be adding more pictures for the exhibition, isn't it considered to be like one of the largest Peel collections south of Philadelphia? I think that's right. I mean, I'm sure there are a number at um, Maryland Center for History and Culture, and there are a number at the Baltimore Museum of Art and, and other places, but I think Hammond Harwood House has has a, a very decent um, percentage of, of the paintings. And uh, I would say our, our curator, Rachel Lovett, is just a genius at finding connections. And everyone that's in our house or in this exhibit, every one of those paintings is of um, someone who has a very intimate connection with Annapolis itself, with the life of Annapolis. And that exhibition officially opens April 1? That's correct, April 1. And it ends uh, December 31st, 2023. 
and people will get a little bit of a preview uh, over Maryland Day weekend. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. Come to Hammond Harwood House over Maryland Day weekend. You can see those peel paintings. You know, you talked a little bit ago about the families who lived in the house and how when a person walks through, they can imagine what the family might have been doing in whichever room, some of their activities, that kind of thing. This is not so much a museum as a home that people lived in and they used all these beautiful pieces of furniture. So they're sort of intact in their native place, so to speak. That's right. I mean, um, 30% of the items in the house are original to the family. So that means, um, you know, you go out, walk into the dining room, that table was in that dining room. Those chairs were in that dining room. That sideboard was in that dining room. And uh, you do get a real sense of that things belong where they are. It's a very, very cool thing. And the other thing that always has interested me, so, um, you know, as the years went by and um, the parents died and then some of the older siblings died or moved away and there were just these two spinster sisters living there in the early part of the 20th century. And um, even when uh, when their parents were, were there, um, they'd have to be, you know, they were, they were short on money. They no longer had the, the vast wealth behind them. And they sold off little pieces of property. It was originally four acres. And now it's about a half acre. And so they didn't sell the paintings. They didn't sell the furniture. They sold the property. And it seems so counterintuitive to us, but that was what was important to them. And thank you for doing that, Ackerman well, family. That's great. <laughs> well, having said that, the collection that you and I are talking about, I, I believe it's considered to be one of the finest collections of fine and decorative arts from the 18th century into the early 19th century. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. In terms of the property, I know we had talked earlier, you and I, um, 95% of the building was intact when the association purchased it. That's right. Well, it has to do with the fact that the, the family, you know, didn't have a whole lot of money towards the end of things. So they, they didn't improve. They didn't add, uh, there was no plumbing in the main part of the house. There was no electricity in the main part of the house. There were no telephones or HVAC. So um, still, there's still no plumbing, but um, there is in the, the wings, but not in the, the main part of the house. And uh, that it just, they took great care of it in the fact that they didn't improve. Um, you know, it's kind of an irony that being poor leads to better preservation, particularly for certain periods in American history. And so the, you know, the windows, the floors, uh, the ceilings, the molding, all is completely intact from um, its original state. And uh, whenever we have artisans who come in to, to work on the house, they are always just amazed by it. We're gonna be restoring our, uh, our floors this winter and the, the firm that we hired, they worked in the White House and at Mount Vernon and many other places. And they came to Hammond Harbor. They said, oh my gosh, these are such beautiful hard pine floors. And they're so extensive and they're in every room. It's just extremely unusual. So we're very proud of that. And it, you know, historic preservation is a real job. I mean, we work on it all the time and you have to keep up with things in a very major way but it is um, gratifying to have had such a great um, foundation to build on. 
And having said that about either the integrity of a building and keeping up with that over the centuries, I believe you're going to be doing some outside work at the Hammond Harwood House soon as well. I hope that this summer we can be working on the the appearance of the front of the house. And by that, I mean the grass, the brickwork, and um, uh, the general ambiance of the front, which does not match the excellence of the inside. I'll just say there's some grass there. Um, every dog in Annapolis loves that grass. I love dogs, but dogs and grass do not mix and do not create a pretty picture. So what we did was uh, what was called a cultural landscape study where we had a preservation architect, a landscape architect, and um, a couple of other um, research professionals look at the history of the way the Hammond Harwood House looked from the side of Maryland Avenue, in other words, from the front. How did it look over time? And how was it designed to look over time? Certainly they didn't have bushes in front of the house in the 18th century, that just would not have been. Um, but then you have to think about also how the house is used now, which is as a museum and it's on a major thoroughfare where you know hundreds of people walk past every day. So what we have to do is take the findings from that cultural landscape study and um, develop a set of recommendations to um, improve the front appearance of the house um, that considers both the historic aspect and its current use. So we'll be probably taking out some of the misshapen boxwood that are there, dealing with some of the drainage issues in the front, um, relaying brick, creating a hardscape, doing some different kinds of landscaping. And this may extend over two summers. Um, it's quite an extensive project. Then I think the house will, the exterior of the house and its presentation will match how lovely the inside is. And uh, we're hoping that will be really in addition to uh, historic Annapolis. And I also think it'll be interesting to other historic properties in an urban setting, because most of them have, you know, landscaping that's been done more recently and it's not authentic. And what would it have looked like? And so it's a kind of spur to um, look again at what a street side presentation of, of a property from that era would how it would present itself. You know, we've talked about all of the ingredients that come together, the architecture, the collection, the people who live there. How do you bring that to life for visitors today? Well, great, great question. I'm so glad you asked that. Um, of course, we are open to the public for tours. And, um, you know, right now you and I are talking in the, in the midst of a COVID situation. And we've tried very hard to um, make it so that people can still visit Hammond Harwood House and still get a tour and yet feel safe. And we will continue to work on that. Um, but we do have, have tours that are guided tours by our trained docents. And we have a huge set of really interesting programs that we run, educational programs. So we have everything from Jane Austen tour, that's a very popular tour. We have walking tours where you visit the sites where um, Charles Wilson Peale would have, would have worked. We have furniture tours. We have, this year we developed a clock tour. So it's about all the different clocks that are in Hammond Harwood House and how they all work and what their purpose was and what their history is. Um, we do have special programming about the African-Americans who were associated with Hammond Harwood House. 
um, as enslaved or as artisans. Um, we have family programs for um, an Easter egg hunt for children, the famous pumpkin walk for children. Um, we have, uh, let's see, um, uh, an, a special architecture program for children where they, they, they draw and learn about, about the house and listen to a story, crafts, et cetera. Um, so we have a huge amount of programming and probably um, at least five or six programs um, per month, one or two a week, um, often in the summertime. And then we also have um, some really fun events. The famous one is the Secret Garden Tour, which is the first weekend in June every year. Last year it was a huge success. And um, I think people were just very anxious to get out and um, see some beautiful gardens. And same weekend this year, first weekend in June. Um, we also do some collaborations. We do a collaboration partnership with the Maryland Ballet Company. So that in our back garden, they, uh, they put on a ballet presentation a couple times a year. And we also have an artist in residence, a, a musician, um, Alyssa Edwards with Alan Ensemble, and she will do chamber programs. So this year she's gonna do a jazz program for us. We found it's a little challenging to do it outside because of street noise, but um, it's also kind of small to do it inside. So we're kind of messing around with, with how do we do that? But um, we get hundreds of people every year, thousands of people coming to our programs. And um, I think learning and um, enjoying being a part of what the history at Hammond Harwood House presents them with. Let's talk a little bit more about the Secret Garden Tour. I know a lot of our local listeners might be very familiar with it, but maybe some new people have moved to the area or people far away are listening and want to know more. Sure. Well, the Secret Garden Tour is a 20-year tradition at Hammond Harwood House. Every spring, we uh, work with garden owners, homeowners in the Annapolis, and uh, they open up their gardens for us. And so the thing is, usually when you walk down the street in Annapolis, even the residential street, you'll walk past and there's sidewalk and the house is right there, but you don't see the beautiful garden behind the house. So this is an opportunity to go behind the house and see what various homeowners have done. And there's everything from a kind of country cottage look to a very structured French provincial garden look. There's all kinds of interesting things that people have done. And uh, this year, the first weekend in June, we are going to be in the Spa View Heights area of Annapolis, which is over between uh, Spa Creek and the edge of Murray Hill. And um, we're hoping to have uh, 15 or so gardens. And uh, it's two days in the afternoon, noon to five. You can come, you know, the ticket enables you to come for as long as you want on, on either day. And uh, it's just a great opportunity to um, be inspired by all these different types of gardens and to support Hammond Harwood House with your ticket price and to um, support um, some of the local businesses who advertise in our program. But it really is a fun, um, a fun way to spend the day and um, get to see, you know, all these really fascinating ways of treating uh, basically the same, you're in the same like biosphere, right? But everybody does something completely different. Um, it's really fun. And your Jane Austen tours caught my ear. Tell me about those. 
Sure. Well, the now the family that lived in Hammond Harwood House, the Lockerman family, had daughters, and they are uh, about contemporaneous with the characters in Jane Austen novels. And um, actually, they had some of the same experiences as some of the young women in Jane Austen novels. So we have um, a couple of guides, one guide in particular, who's very, very enamored of Jane Austen. And she's developed a wonderful tour that goes into the various rooms and talks about what would have been happening in this room with those, those young women and the various kind of customs and the graces of um, England and America in you know, the early, early 19th century. And people seem to love it. We get Jane on, we call them our Jane Austenites. And they come from Philadelphia and Washington and Baltimore and Annapolis and, and book the tour. Uh, we actually run it every month. Um, I think maybe we run it twice a month. I can't remember. Maybe no, it's once a month um, on a Wednesday and on a Saturday. So um, yeah, it's a great experience. And you mentioned how your programming reaches out to all age groups. That pumpkin walk is something that people just rally to every year. It's a big, it's a big deal with all the little ones. It is, it is. We've had to modify it a little bit, but it's still really, really fun. So we see, you know, the little babes in arms with their their costumes up to the slightly under teenage year kids. And you know, that's been going on for more than 20 years. And, and I think maybe even 25 years, the pumpkin walk. And we now have young parents who themselves participated when they were little kids. So it's everything, it's everything, face painting and, you know, pumpkin toss. And there was a witch telling stories. And then we do a tour of the house that focuses on super superstitions from the 19th century. And um, it's really, it's really fun. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Well, I guess I'd just like to, um, I mean, thanks for your questions. I think we've gone in some, some great directions here. Um, I guess I want to make a comment about what maybe the general perception is of a place like Hammond Harwood House. Um, it's not a place that's a dusty old museum with little white haired ladies walking around in old costumes and um, you know, pointing their finger at you to not touch things. Um, this is a place that is alive. Um, there's a lot of great social history. And I, I guess I haven't talked about the family, the Lockerman family that lived there. So they weren't your typical rich family. Uh, they were on the dysfunctional side and um, definitely interesting. Um, I often say nobody famous lived at the Hammond Harwood House, but the family that lived there is worthy of a Masterpiece Theater series. Um, you have mental illness, you have runaway sons, you have um, people who got into fights, you have um, lovely, sweet women trying to raise their children in the best way possible and tragedy striking. And all of that, I think, comes... Um, makes the house feel more real. It makes it feel real. And you know, you'll hear those stories when you come to Hammond Harwood House and participate in the programs or go on the tour. And so combining this beautiful, elegant house with this very real social history of a family that actually lived there, I think makes it a kind of special experience that um, gives you new perspectives, um, yeah, history is old stuff, but it's also our stuff. And, uh, um, you know, we're doing it, we're trying to do exciting things, we're trying to make it make it relevant for people. And uh, 
we've got a lot of uh, a lot of very excited and knowledgeable guides and volunteers involved, and uh, they're really bringing a great spirit. We're open six days a week, and um, it helps to make a reservation online. That way, we know who to expect and when, and you get a special tour if you if you do that. And uh, our programs are open. We have a lot of programs that are online and they are free. You just click on a link and you can participate in a, in a, in a lecture or um, another program. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we just hope uh, lots of people will come and visit us this year and, and to check it all out. Thank you again, Barbara, for joining me today and for providing us with an insight into the Hammond Harwood House, the families who live there, and the treasures it has to offer. My guest has been Barbara Goyette, Executive Director of the Hammond Harwood House in Annapolis. Until next time, I'm Susan Seifried with Visit Annapolis and Anne Arundel County for Destination Annapolis. 